Hi, and welcome to the Days Gone podcast. I'm Claire Weaver, a screenwriter, author, and Days Gone fan, and this podcast is a place to discuss the game in all its glory, share my opinions, both popular and unpopular, and listen to me fangirl over one of the best games ever made. There will be spoilers ahead, so continue at your own risk. Welcome to The Freak Show. Before we get started, I have a couple quick reminders. Weekdays at 7.30am Pacific Time, you can watch me live stream Days Gone. I'm currently tackling an antisocial style playthrough in which I avoid using camps to live the true drifter experience. That means no buying guns or supplies and no turning in bounties and meat. I'm surviving just on what I can find out in the shit, and that's all before I've had my morning cup of coffee. You can watch me on my YouTube channel, just search for Days Gone Podcast. I'm also a guest on the Spornicus Rex YouTube channel on Tuesdays at 6pm Pacific. We're currently playing through one of my favorite franchises of all time, the Uncharted Games. All right, it's been a few weeks since the last episode because I've been in the middle of moving from California to Colorado. Now I'm settled, I feel like I need to make up for lost time, so I've invited not one, but two guests onto the show. Joining me today are Ken and Joe. Ken is a musician and an avid Days Gone fan, currently pursuing his Master of Music Education degree at Florida State University. And Joe is a musician and songwriter with a music degree from Carthage College and is the senior junior moderator on my daily live streams. He also played baseball for the Dodgers many moons ago. Gentlemen, how are you both? <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> oh, I love it. Do you want to explain that that little joke I just threw in there? I played for the Dodgers at the age of seven. <laughs> you were a baseball prodigy? Oh, yes, very much so. You can find my rookie card for $700,000 and give me all the money for it <laughs> if you find it. <laughs> little League, everybody. Yeah, little known fact, I played for the Braves. Oh, yeah. Little mm -hmm. League, but that's beside the point. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have a rookie card, so it's okay. Well, thank you so much, gentlemen, for, for joining me today. Um, Ken, let's start with you. I just want to talk a little bit about Days Gone, and I want to know how you discovered the game and how many times you played it. Oh, God. Okay. So uh, I saw Days Gone first through a trailer, I think on YouTube. I was kind of just looking at, you know, cool up-and-coming zombie games, and I found Days Gone. I thought it looked really good, so I pre-ordered it literally the day before it came out. And, you know, I picked it up. And I think kind of like everybody, you know, it was kind of hard to get through the first couple hours simply for the fact that it was, you know, you felt so underpowered going through the beginning of the first, first couple hours. But once you got through that first couple hours, you know, it got a little bit easier. And to date, I have done probably about 40 playthroughs, about eight, somewhere between eight to 10 to completion. Wow. Awesome. And Joe, how about you? How did you discover the game? And what's your favorite thing about it? Um, my discovery of the game was probably from the first um, showing at E3. It was very enticing and I was super excited about it. Um, I remember seeing trailers pretty much up until the day it launched. I can't remember if I pre-ordered it or not, but I definitely got it really early. Um and I, I tried to play it. I think I got through the first 15 hours of it and then life got in the way and I forgot about it. <gasps> and I remember seeing from the uh, few YouTubers that I followed some reviews of it that were 
not nearly as bad as, you know, all the things that the critics were saying. They're just like, no, 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 it, it has its issues. But overall, the story of it probably is what shines the most, you know? So I was like, well, story is what I play video games for. So if it's going to be really good, then I might as well give it another shot. So I think I've played through it three times now. And I... I I would probably just say the story. It's just a very it's it's just a really, really well written story played by phenomenal actors. And just the 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 entire game is just such a beautiful piece of work. Mm. And I love every aspect of it. Yeah, yeah, I concur. I mean, there's a reason why I'm on episode. uh, What is a 38, 39 of a podcast solely dedicated to one single video game, not even a whole franchise, a single video game. I I just think it's insane that you can get this many episodes of a podcast out of one game and still have more to talk about. (laughs) It's like Days Gone's got a cult following. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Ken, I didn't ask you what's your favorite thing about the game. Oh, my favorite thing about the game. Honestly, I have to agree with Joe. You know, I think the story is really well written and the characters are very dynamic. They're relatable. They're personable. So Mm -hmm. it was kind of neat to see. Hey, I can see some of myself or some of somebody I know in this character. Yeah, that's one of the great things. Like I always say the characters feel so real and like the world feels real, even though it's obviously heightened. It's post-collapse, post-apocalypse. But I feel like the the people in the world have depth and have a point of view and are all relatable in some way. Like you say, we all we know someone, we know elements of all of the characters we know in real life. I, I really want to point out actually that uh the the first time I went through the entire story, and I know a lot of people aren't gonna necessarily relate to this, but literally from the very beginning even when people were like, nah, Deacon's kind of an ass. Jeez, what the hell is wrong with him? From the very first moment, I was like, oh, this is probably what I would be like in these situations. (laughs) (laughs) Like, a hundred percent anger, just madness. Just the, the way he's beaten that freak with Boozer's shotgun and Boozer's just, dude, Gonna break my shotgun. shotgun. (laughs) Fine. Yeah. Sorry. Just every aspect of that. I was just like, oh my God. Is this me? What the hell is this? He just hates everything and everyone in it. He's okay with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely been in that kind of place before. So I, I, I completely understood that. And I was like, oh my God, put that in an apocalypse situation and you've lost your wife. Like, holy Uh, yeah Yeah. not a good time not a good time no a lot of people on the subreddit say what's with deacon with all his like yelling at the marauders or saying like crazy things and he's so socially awkward when he's talking to the people in the camps it's like yeah did you not see the setting of the game did you not get that he's severely mentally and emotionally distraught yeah, I think the way he talks to himself is such a good coping mechanism for him. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very 
undervalued in especially the subreddit. I don't think they understand that at all. And it's it it's a very big deal. And I think it means a lot for his mental health. Yeah. Yeah. There's also the, the fact that it's a video game. And I mean, Sam Witwer himself has talked about how it's those internal thoughts that are being spoken out loud. So we, the player, know what is happening. It doesn't mean it's necessarily said out loud for real. Yeah. But then also it does make sense that in that world that you would just be fucking talking to yourself. Who mm-hmm. else is there to talk just, to? Yeah, you'd just be like, <laughs> Everybody's hey, dead. No, gotta I mean, find gas, always yeah. need scrap. Like, you're gonna have these little things that you say to yourself all the time. Yeah, because I feel like the stuff he says when, like, coming up on a camp is probably definitely in his head. Mm. But I feel like anything he says on the motorcycle, he would just <laughs> 100% be saying. <laughs> Especially the shut the fuck up. I don't want to hear your stupid truth or bullshit today. <laughs> Not today, Cope. <laughs> All right, so today we are going to discuss the soundtrack. Uh, You are both music experts, and I very much am not. So I want to start with more of a general overview before we get into some of the more technical music theory specifics. The soundtrack gets a lot of love. Why do you guys think that is? You go, Ken. (laughs) All right. uh, So the theme was written really well. Uh, Nathan Whitehead used... A pretty good bit of instrumentation had a good variety and obviously the performers did a phenomenal job as well and the cool part about being i guess in a composition setting where you're where you're writing a lot and writing for something on the scale of a video game that you could play for 40 plus hours um, is composers will find a motif and kind of develop it and use it in other tracks on a soundtrack. Uh, yeah, we can go into that a little bit when we talk about um, you know the themes from the songs. But uh, there's something that uh, that I was told by a professor back in my undergrad. Uh, I believe it's Leia's theme from Star Wars is just a uh, I think it's a retrograde inversion, so it's played reverse. Where the intervals from the from the tonic are flipped, so instead of playing, you know, a perfect fourth up, you'd play a perfect fourth down and backwards, and that's how you got Leia's theme. So it's the hmm. same music, same, you know, same basic idea, but done a little switcheroo. I wish there was an easier way to convey that. Yeah, to the listeners, honestly, but they. <laughs> Just the terminology that we have to use in order to say what we're talking about is just, I, I don't know how to dumb that down quite either, honestly. You're, you're playing the music upside down backwards. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, that's about as easy as it gets. And is that something that's done in Days Gone? Is that something like you it said is. about a motif? Is that something that's prevalent mm-hmm. throughout the soundtrack? Oh, yeah. I, I found a couple that I think, you know, it's arguable. It's... There's never a yes or no answer, particularly in theory, because everybody's got so many different ideas that mm-hmm. you you can essentially find something that you think is a certain way and argue your point. I mean, the the main theme for Days Gone is prevalent in, I think it's, of, of the 20 instrumental pieces, sorry, 21, um, not counting the, uh, you know, the, the, the songs for the, the, 
bike trips. Um, I think it's in what is it? Or the camp songs. Yeah, I think it's in like 15 of them. I see. Oh, wow. Like it's it's very prevalent. It's just that. Like I did that very wrong, but you know what I'm talking about. Like that theme, that theme is everywhere in the soundtrack. It's in Sarah's theme. It's in I think it does appear in Finding Nero. Uh, but it's yes, it does. extremely subtle. Um, it's in Holy War. It's in Why We Fight. It's in Never Give Up. It's in Light One Candle. It's it's everywhere, and that's that's the point. It's it's the theme of the entire game. Mm. It is the thing that makes you go, oh, "Day's gone." It's that. It's our game. It's. I mean, the theme is the most important part. If you've got that, you can make almost anything work. And it doesn't even have to be the entire thing. I'm pretty sure in um, in Never Give Up, it's only like the first four or five notes because then it transitions into a whole new chord and a the, the theme of that specific song. But it's there. And when you hear those notes, you're like, oh, it's it. it, it, it. Oh, man, they they threw it in a little bit. It yeah. was really cool. It's oh, I love it so much. So never give never give up is essentially the same as the days gone. The, the main theme, there's just less melodic material and it's transposed. And so it's just in a different key. Mm hmm. Yeah, I've, I've got a lot to say about that song yeah. later. <laughs> all right we'll get to that as a non-musician the way i i i obviously don't have the music theory uh and the music education that you guys have the the language for i was i'm a very visual person so music is hard for me to even think about um but the way i sort of am interpreting what you guys are saying is that the that theme that sort of prevalent series of notes that that kind of um little melody it brings a sense of completeness and a sense of home for the soundtrack so it's like this is your home base yes and then some of the songs kind of like you say like they'll use a few of the notes and then go off in a different direction but it always brings you back to that home theme mm-hmm. and i wonder if that's maybe why the soundtrack to non-musicians why the soundtrack is so appealing because it has that repetition I've never even noticed. I didn't know there was repetition of the theme. It went over the top of my head, but I obviously felt it in some way. So it must stir something inside you that gives you an emotion, gives you a, a sense of being home. I definitely think the the theme has a, a, a strong connection to that. I think it's also just because Nathan Whitehead is very good at what he does Mm -hmm. he this entire soundtrack he gets the the emotional connection to whatever the piece is supposed to connect to so well while going through these songs i had to stop writing down that this one had an emotional connection to whatever part of the game it was in because it's there for every single song. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it wasn't a relevant point anymore because it's the entire soundtrack. Like, you know, the soundtrack is well done really well when you don't have to watch the game and listen to the music to appreciate the oh, emotional yeah. ties to it. Mm-hmm. 
that's why I write for Hollywood. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, I didn't know if uh, you wanted to throw this in there or not, Claire, but um, the soundtrack was um, done by the Nashville Scoring Orchestra. Mm. Um, along with soloists for uh, the guitar and some of the instrumentation when it got to, um, I think there's a, I know there's plenty of string solos. I think there's one with like a woodwind instrument at some point, but don't quote me on that. (laughs) While we're on the subject of that connection to emotion, I know you guys have both gone through track by track. And uh, Joe, you said that you kind of had to stop writing it down at a certain point because everything is connected to an emotion. Do you want to talk about a few of the few of your favorites or a few of the kind of more uh, a few of the major ones? Sure. Okay. Well, my first one would probably be uh, "We've All Done Things." Mm-hmm. "We've All Done Things" is mainly centered around um, the the tonic of the chords of the of the main chord. So. To put that into layman's terms, I guess if <laughs> if the key of a um, specific piece of music is like C major, then the tonic would be C. And this song is built around that note. And what's crazy about it is, I mean, most songs are built that way, but this one specifically, the way the melody goes through it, is it always comes back to it at almost every single phrase. What's a phrase? Um, probably about every f- four to eight bars of music. I don't know if that was any clearer. <laughs> a, a, phrase is, a phrase is essentially a musical idea. You have sentences, or I guess you could say musical sentences that culminate into a phrase that ends with okay. a cadence which gives it the the idea of a resolution or the feeling of a resolution yeah. and the returning back to that, that home note essentially is referred to as a pedal note. So you can hear in this case, it is a, uh, like a low E on a, on a guitar and you can just pluck that one note and just go to town playing whatever melody you want to play as long as it's in that key. Well, and the best part about that is that this one's got, I think, think it's a double bass sitting on that note for the first 30 seconds of the song something like that See, I, I don't, it's I think, very prevalent i don't know if it was a, i don't know if it was a double bass i'll have to go back and listen to it again but um part of me thought it was just like a just a classical guitar or actually maybe not even a classical guitar just a regular run-of-the-mill acoustic guitar steel string it sounded more sustained to me than that but that could have just been an effect that they put in so that's a very good point yeah do you guys happen to know how much is played by real people with real instruments versus how much is maybe done electronically and not to say that's not real but you know the different different abilities like very you say, little sort of add sustain yeah. oh very little is done very yeah. very little yeah i agree um there's something i noted in um uh, finding nero uh, well, you guys remember how uh, how Deacon that's a re- piano, by the way. Yeah, it's a keyboard, an electronic one, but and it's using a Celeste setting. It's um, yeah, you think Celeste, you think celestial. It's kind of that funny sci-fi. Type exactly, of sound. you get Deacon referring to their hazmat suits as spacesuits, mm-hmm. and you're using a Celeste setting on a 
electric keyboard. I don't know if either of you guys know the mobile game uh, Plague Inc. Oh, yes. I do not. Oh, what is that? I've been playing that since I was like 13. (laughs) It's a mobile game that allows you to play as a pathogen. So a virus, a bacteria, a fungus, a... um, Amoeba, all sorts of stuff. Amoeba, what's the other two? One of them is something that's in the in the brain specifically i don't remember uh, prion 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 yep prion i played a similar game but you, you're just a virus i think it's just called pandemic i think i played that too. oh yeah, yeah yeah there is a board game in that too and you have to start on madagascar that, otherwise you're fucked that is not that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no mine was always uh saudi arabia because everybody flies out of there ah. but um the the sound of finding nero was just the first time i listened to it outside of the game i literally thought i was listening to the music in plague inc exactly (laughs) so it's like holy crap this sounds so much like that which is perfect because it's it's what it should feel like it those are the exact same type of feels Mm. it's it's got the sci-fi element it's got this mystery element it's kind of got a darker tone to it you don't really know what's going on. Like it's, oh, it's so well done. Spooky. There is something very unnerving about that track. It definitely mm-hmm. gives you that sort of sense of unease. Well, and that's the beauty of it. Um, I think my favorite part of it is that even with it being sci-fi sounding, it's still got the rest of the orchestra that you're hearing for the rest of the soundtrack. It's still got the guitar. It's got all of that sitting behind it. So it almost gives this this feel of the the comparison of Nero, but in this place where Nero hasn't been or that, we, you know, Deacon has never seen it. Mm. So it, it it's this you know, the comparison of the wait, 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 why is this? Why is this sci fi shit here? This who? who like, I mean, like, he, like Ken said, who, who are these spacesuit guys? Why? Why are they here? They shouldn't be here. This is this is freaking drifter territory. What the fuck is this? Yeah. And again, it goes back to that sense of unease, something being out of place, something mysterious and potentially dangerous being somewhere that was not peaceful, but was predictable somewhere that you know you've been drifted you know deacon's been living the drifter life in the shit for two years it's kind of predictable and then nero what the fuck Mm -hmm. uh what about some other tracks what else do you want to discuss um one of the things that i need to point out is that um i actually found an article that said that nathan wanted most of the soundtracks centered around a guitar because he thought it would give a better vibe for Deacon being a biker and bounty hunter. He just thought that that would, that would sound more like him. Um, And what's really cool about that is that you can almost feel in some of these tracks that when the guitar is more prevalent, it's almost as if Deacon is having a very conscious thought at the moment. And one of my favorite examples of that is actually in Never Give Up, 
specifically because that song constantly goes back and forth between the strings being the main instrument and the guitar being the main instrument. And it's almost like they're having a conversation. Mm. Like, you know, when you talk to yourself in your head and one half of it is like this almost scared, innocent, emotional type of side. And then there's the more conscious one that's more, more logical and determined and hopeful and, like you just talk between those two like oh my god but what if this happens this would be the worst thing if this would happen yeah but i know this isn't going to happen because i know these things yeah but this could still do this yeah but we we'd be okay even if that were to happen like i feel like that's what that song is because it's the strings going oh my god what if she is dead we're never going to find her what if we can never find her? What if we never get any kind of resolution to this? And then the guitar comes in and Dick gets like, no, 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 fuck that. Absolutely fuck that. We are gonna find her. This is gonna be good. We're gonna figure something out. I don't care what it takes. And that's why I love that that song ends with the guitar being the primary instrument. Because it's like, no, nope. Never give up. I know what's going on. I know what I believe, and we're gonna find her. It made me think of like Johnny Cash, kind of like the whole Johnny Cash esque, like Man in Black feel. You know, it's just like Folsom Prison. Just you know. Oh God, I love that song. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and honestly, just I don't know. I, there was just something about it. Maybe just the uh, maybe just a sliding up and down the fretboards with the, uh, with oh, the guitar, yeah. the bottom boom boom. It's just, <sighs> it's just so. It's beautiful. just mm. <laughs> Jeff Kiss. It so it's, it's pretty awesome. I I don't I I wasn't able to find who specifically did most of the guitar for the soundtrack, but God. I mean, it's Nashville. Yeah, I hope they paid that person well because they did so good. Being a guy who plays guitar, that mm. the way that that instrument is played throughout the entire the entire soundtrack is with emotion, and it's just like butter. It's like there's no effort oh, to it whatsoever. It's just it's so beautiful. He makes it sing. That's that's one of those things that is, um, or at least that I can find that is very prevalent in the music industry is the difference between people who can um, play music and people who can emote with music. Because if you want to, yeah, you can learn how to play music. It, it can be very technical if you want to make it that way. But if you want to get across the emotion that helped write it in the first place you can't teach that that's something you just have to inherently be able to do if you can't feel it no one else is going to it's the difference between being a musician and being musical yes very much so it's the artistry of it it's where the art comes from and i got another thing that you guys might actually uh might actually enjoy 
So something I took note of in Lost Lake, I thought I heard it. I'm not, not you know, maybe just a little bit. I could have sworn I heard "Wanted Dead or Alive" by Bon Jovi. <laughs> like, just go back and listen. To I it. no, I know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, exactly. You know, I was- see, I I can't. <laughs> I can't share the sentiment though because that's my my least favorite song on the entire soundtrack. It, there is so little musical effort to it. I I I don't know what it is. I just for whatever reason that song I can't stand. Right. It's it's not that it's not a great track. It's just you know it it doesn't have the emotional impact that the rest do. Like even you get into the like the Rager Bear, you have like the you have the sliding. I guess it's a double bass, or it's it's either a double bass or just a fretless electric bass. But you get yeah. that bounding sound. You know, it slides with the boom, and it, it's just you you can just see the bear like going back and forth, just bounding like. Oh you know. yeah, I'm so glad you brought up the Rager Bear because that's actually my favorite track on the uh, the whole soundtrack. I, I don't really like the softer ones so much. Like, I like the soundtrack, but for me, it's not the kind of music I'm into. I like heavier stuff. So Rage Bear kind of scratches that itch for me. But it's also just such a good fucking song. There's, there's a moment, I think it's about two-thirds of the way through, there's like an extra sound is brought in. I kind of want to ask you guys about what it is. It sounds to me like, like a hammer hitting an anvil. There's like a sort of chung chung kind of sound. Mm, I know what you're beat. talking about. Probably, probably what, break what is that? I, I honestly don't know. That's just one of those things that because I wasn't an orchestra, I that's <laughs> not something I know. Unfortunately, you said it's about two thirds way through. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, y'all y'all discuss, and I'll find out real quick. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I I really like that song. I just I love the energy of it, and I I just love how it sort of how it makes me feel all amped up. And I, it's my favorite track whenever I'm driving in LA. I mean, I don't live there now, but like when I lived in LA and I was getting onto the freeway, I'd put that track on. That's my, don't fuck with me. I'm coming onto the freeway. Get the fuck out of my way. You gotta, you gotta merge. You gotta be aggressive. You gotta get it done. I mean, it's LA. You, you need a certain energy level so you don't get destroyed. And that oh, song man. gets me there. <laughs> I I can definitely see how that would do that. Me personally, I I don't like to listen to it outside of the game because it actually gives me a bit of anxiety. <laughs> I mean, it is. It's anxiety inducing. It's it's not a pleasant song. It doesn't stir up a good emotion. You're talking earlier about the emotions mm-hmm. that that connect with the songs, the emotions it, it stirs up in you. That it one gets your heart emotion, racing in a bad way. Yeah, the emotion is, <laughs> is fear, anxiety, uh, danger, just a sense of danger, a sense of like, oh shit, you are about to die. Fucking act. Mm-hmm. Do something. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, whenever I hear this song, I immediately think of, um, I can't remember from The Simpsons, it's, it's the the little kid, and it's like the cops, and the cops kid, and he's just in the back of the bus, like, <laughs> I'm in danger. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Just Ralph Wiggum. Ralph, yep, Ralph. Saying I'm in danger. I'm in oh danger. My God, I'm never gonna be able to play this again. <laughs> oh my God, that's perfect. Uh, I'm gonna get to the Rager Bear on my next playthrough. Like, Just be I, like, I'm in danger. It's like I'm in. 
Like, I'm just going to completely bypass this bear, just throw, like, throw a napalm Molotov on and be like, all right, I'm done with you. Oh, Lord. Okay. Um, were you able to figure out what that instrument was? It was a break drum. At least that's what it sounded like to me. A Can you describe drum? what a break drum is? That was going to be my question. <laughs> Essentially, you take a, you know, honestly, you can take pretty much anything, and then it's quite literally a break. You know, the, um, or it's not the break. I see, I don't know jack about cars so it's but like it like the disc off a car exactly the in the wheel the brake disc yeah it's not it's, yeah it's the brake disc essentially it's like and you just take a piece of metal a gigantic mallet and just clank ah so, so i wasn't s- far off when i said it sounded like a hammer hitting an anvil it's literally a mallet hitting metal thick yeah. metal okay exactly interesting Okay, what? Cool. I, I just have a question real quick. How is that supported? Is it on like a cymbal stand or how, like, what do you have that on? Honestly, you probably just use like a, like a concert snare stand. Just, just tighten it up mm. to where it, it's tight enough to like to keep it from moving, but it's not so tight that it's kind of muting it. It's just enough to support it. Yeah. Hold it to keep it up, but not to absorb enough of the vibrations that exactly. it's going to change the sound. Right. Yeah. Cause you want that kind of like, that metallic that clang, just clang. That, yeah, that mm-hmm. exactly. like clang reverberation sort of sound. Yeah, that's my favorite part of that song because it just, again, it it brings in that that danger. You think of, I mean, I thought of like anvils and fire and you know, kind of heat and energy. Yeah, it's really really good choice of instrument. Is does it even count as an instrument or is it just a? I guess it depends on who you ask. <laughs> I mean. It, it, if an orchestra is going to use it for any purpose, it definitely counts as it's musical show. enough, okay. I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we all remember Stomp, don't we? Mm, mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> I mean, at that point, brooms were instruments, so yeah. Why can't a break drum be? Why not? Speaking of uh, speaking of danger, this this uh, the song name is so deceptive. You're safe now. Nowhere in that song that I feel safe oh at all. I felt like I was being oh chased. I'm just like, oh god, where did I rate this? Like it's it's like you're being chased, and then you know, closer to the end, like you know, midway, two thirds of the way through, you go from feeling like you're you know about to die, being chased by a horde, to the point where you're like, okay, I am you know well in front of these things, and I'm I'm okay, I'm good, I'm fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. I think it's supposed to allude to the the fight or flight that the people who are being rescued must be feeling. That's a whole lot of flight. The uh, oh yeah, <laughs> and the I think when it when it starts to calm down, like you said, I think that's like maybe them getting to the camp and them realizing, oh, okay, I I might actually be safe here. But this is a anybody. whole different experience. Exactly. Yeah, like there's relative. still the tension behind that, but it's a lot. It, it's diminished. So, so instead of being, you know, I'm gonna be devoured by a horde, it turns into I'm not gonna be a breaker's toothpick. Exactly. I might have to deal with people, but I no longer have to deal with the freaks. People or freaks? Hmm. Well, I don't know. I guess if you, most people, sure, I'll deal with a I'll deal with the camp, but schizo. All right, come on, Breaker. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, fuck Schizo. Yeah.
Sorry, Claire. Yeah, sorry, Claire. <laughs> I was going to say no comment. Um, <laughs> I didn't bring it up. It's not on me. Are there any more songs we want to specifically call out before we move on to the next topic I want to talk about? Honestly, there is one last thing I would like to talk about. Um, promises and Regrets. It's honestly, it's just one that I really enjoyed. It's far, it's very different from the majority of the soundtrack. It's you know, you feel like it's almost like a uh, like a rebirth or there's a sense of resolve. It's more reflective, but yeah, I like it. So, well, and it's built that way. Yeah, one to match the scene because I believe that Promises and Regrets is the song that plays. Um, during the sequence of uh, going to burn the church. I think so, yeah. I think and right. what's really nice about it is that it, it has the the happier type of sound that's more in a, a major key. And that's, it, it's really cool because it's like that side of it is the promises. And then when it goes more to the minor key, that's the regrets. And it sounds the way that Nathan, you know, um, composed that piece is very much this side sounds like promising and this sounds like regretting. And it's it it's very prevalent. Actually, and I, I love every piece of it. That makes sense because, you know, you're in the earlier part, you're obviously killing those squatters. You're you're, you're flashing back to the wedding day and then. Yeah, then you're burning it all down. Well, and I don't even think it has to necessarily do with the squatters. I think it's it's just one of those things like so many fun like memories. When, when someone's dead, and you try to think of a happy memory, you have that balance in your head. You know, you're like, oh my god, that that was that was a great day, and then you come back to the present, and you're like, I'm never gonna have that kind of day again. Yeah. There's also the idea of, of what Deacon promised and how he broke that promise. Oh, yeah. Because mm-hmm. Sarah asked him, promise me you'll never, never, leave, never me. leave me. What does yeah. he do in the very first scene of the game? He leaves her. Leaves. In in his mind, you know, that's he left her to die. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously he didn't know he thought he was getting her to safety, but for him knowing, air quotes, that she's dead for two years, living with that, living with the knowledge that if he had done something different, if he had gone with her on the helicopter, not put her on the helicopter, done anything, you know, sent Boozer with her, anything, any variation on what actually happened, she might have survived. And that's the his biggest regret. That's what he's living with. That's his guilt. He thinks he killed her through his actions. What's crazy about that is that I feel like that guilt started the moment that Boozer asked him, what did you do? Mm. Because the look on his face, he's like, "Oh shit!" Almost had a different emotion to me once I had heard you talk about that on the podcast, which in whatever episode that was first mentioned. Because just the the whole "never leave me" and you know he he leaves her, she goes up on the helicopter. He's watching her go away, and he says, "What did you just do?" And I feel like in that moment, Deacon immediately goes, "I just broke the." biggest promise i ever made to her yeah and honestly i think you can maybe hear that a little bit in her voice like you know she just she just gives you that granted it's also she's you know 
leaving her husband, so that could be a little bit of it. But yeah, she's just that solemn. Just no. Mm-hmm. No, because the first time I heard that no, I was like, I wonder why the actor chose to say no that way. That's really interesting choice. And again, now knowing you know what I know about all that, it's just no. She did that for that specific reason. Because it it wasn't a no, he's not coming with me and I need to deal with it. It's nope, and he's going to leave me and I'm gonna have to deal with that. And hopefully he survives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it it's very well done. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I want to ask a really smart sounding question that I totally didn't come up with. Um, I want to discuss how Nathan Whitehead uses specific parts of music theory to add variety to the soundtrack. Go. <laughs> oh, dear Lord, I knew I was going to regret this question. <clears throat> well, it's actually a question from both of you, because Joe, you came up with the main part of the question, and then Ken, you changed it to adding variety rather than enhancing. I think Joe was your original and see, I wasn't able to uh, delve too much into this because I'm not very good at hearing intervals. Um, hopefully that makes sense again. <laughs> uh, yep. Uh, Joe, I am both blessed and cursed with perfect pitch. So uh, oh, yeah. I'm so jealous. Don't be. It's awful. Oh, I am, though. I've I've always wished that I had perfect pitch. It would be a. I mean, I I can imagine how awful it is when something's just that that slight hair out. Oh God, I can't imagine how much you cringe. A lot. <laughs> Don't ever listen to anything that I've done, any of my singing. Oh no, I tell you, no. Just sitting in a like in a just eight a.m. string methods course, you just want to die. Oh, yeah. God. People that have never touched a violin a day in their life. And they're all trying to play hot cross buns at eight o'clock in the morning. <laughs> just come sweet death, please just kill me now. <laughs> like like I like I actually hope I'm hit by a like a bus on campus or something like that. Oh Lord. But anyway, um yeah, as far as uh using music theory to add variety or to enhance the soundtrack, I touched on this a little bit earlier. You know, you can use a couple different things to take a theme and you know, kind of switch it up a little bit. Uh, obviously, I'm not going to go into all of the all of the aspects of theory that they use in the soundtrack because we'll be here for hours. <laughs> but I was going to say, I think you'd have to take a 101 and a 102 course for that. Yeah, I'm just like, all right, you guys are going to get theory one, two, three, and four in the next 30 <laughs> minutes. Good luck. Uh, but yeah, no, so it's essentially um, something that, you know, it can be seen through the, uh, through the soundtrack. So obviously you can start with transposition. Transposition is the first way you'll ever learn how to tr change a melody you can take a uh, like the theme you have the and then if you say you want to move it up a fourth you get and that is the probably the easiest way that you can change a melody without having to put too much work into it and when you're having to put together an entire soundtrack 
working smarter and not harder is probably the way to go. <laughs> and the things I'm going to discuss next is definitely not working smarter. It's working a heck of a lot harder. So you could have, you could play a melody in a retrograde, which is playing it in reverse. You can invert the melody, which is essentially just taking the intervals that you have and essentially flipping them over. So if I was going to invert the melody, it would start off like... So you get the first interval is a minor third and then a major second. If I was going to take that and do a little switcheroo, go inverted, I would do a minor third down and then a major second down from there. So instead of... You'd have... It's not too commonly used, but retrograde inversion, so combining the two, is something that I found in the soundtrack. I can't remember exactly where it is in the soundtrack, but it's it is used. He did use it though? He did use it. Wow. Oh, he's... This guy's a genius. Oh no, no, no. I'm an idiot, I promise. <laughs> oh wait, you weren't talking about me. You were talking about you're talking about Nathan Whitehead. Got it. I mean you're a genius for finding it. Uh I definitely didn't. I you guys are both geniuses compared <laughs> to me. I'm just sitting here like, huh, music. Sure. Uh, <laughs> Like, Notes and stuff. I, I can do band music, <laughs> um, but yeah, you know it's and the chord progression that he uses in the main theme. I don't remember it off the top of my head, but he takes that and uses it throughout the soundtrack in a couple different places as well. I think it's five one four. I don't remember what comes after Let's four. See. It starts with the D minor. And then I think it switched to, which is to a, a five, six, five, or five, I don't know. But it, it goes from a, uh, a D minor chord to a second inversion A chord. So you get. Then, then I think it goes back to the. Uh, 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 just the regular A in root position and then B flat. So yeah, you get the D minor. Or something something like that. But that chord progression can be found throughout the soundtrack and varying, you know, varying modes and keys. <laughs> Sorry, I was trying to see if I could actually look up like the the chord chart yeah, for it. I would honestly, I would really like to get the score for this and just do a score analysis. See, that's that's what I was hoping I could find was someone had done it somewhere, and I the only thing I could find was one that someone arranged for the piano only for the first song. Nice. And I was like, that's not going to help like, me, though. Like, somebody at Band Hook, hook us up. <laughs> Seriously. D minor, F over C, C5, G minor, D. Yeah, wow, okay. Wait, you said D minor, D minor F over C. F over C, C5. Uh, G minor over D. Nope, nope. I don't think so. This is also for a guitar, though. So, but even then, I mean, you would still get the 
the, the chords. I mean, you would get the I would the layout. So. It would sound at least somewhat, you know, comparable. Hey, if I can do a podcast about the game, you guys can figure oh, out the music. Yeah. There you go. Do a, part two, let's go. <laughs> Soundtrack part two. Here we go. We went into even more like detail. Just... Now you still can't explain. Exactly. Now we're getting an orchestration class. Welcome to hell. I feel like, Ken, when you're teaching music, this is going to be the topic of like a semester oh, or something. Be the Days Gone soundtrack. And all your students will have to like listen to the soundtrack, play the so game. Instead of summer reading, you're going to go home and play video games. Be like, this is the coolest teacher ever. Oh, fuck yeah. Until they realize it's like a hundred hour you, you long game. You got a summer to do it and be right. <laughs> all right. I am going to change this up a little bit. I feel like we got way into the weeds. <laughs> stuff I know nothing about. It's easy to go off on like God knows what when you're talking about music. Oh God, yeah. It's just, you can go from, all right, talking about one thing to we're a hundred miles away. Mm-hmm. So yeah, bringing it back to more sort of layman's understandings, just what is your guys' favorite track? I know we touched a little bit on that earlier, but just to listen to just for pure enjoyment, what's your mm. favorite track? Joe, you want to start this one? I don't know that I can say that I have a favorite, to be honest with you. Um, Like the main theme mm. is obviously fantastic, but... um. What did you do? Drifting away. Um, never give up. Why we fight. I remember. <laughs> I mean, like, it's so we're just gonna go through the, sound, the entire soundtrack. Yeah, it's that, just that, it's just well that done. That really is the problem. The whole <laughs> soundtrack is so soundtrack. good. So your favorite track is <laughs> the days gone. I mean, it's got track in it, right? And it also. <laughs> It also depends on the kind of mood you're in, though, because like if I'm driving and I just want to listen to something, riding Nomad is probably what I'm going to listen to. But if I'm sitting down and I'm feeling a little contemplative, it might be promises and regrets like drifting away is a good one for just, you know, a almost three minute listen real quick and. Holy War is something if you want to get your blood pumping a little bit and go punch somebody in the face. (laughs) (laughs) Ken, how about you? Favorite track? I will say that I have two. I would say that my favorite, favorite track from the soundtrack that is a just, you know, purely instrumental. I will absolutely say that the main Days Gone theme is just chef's kiss. Just amazing. I love it. But... I also really love Days Gone Quiet, and I am just a little bit upsetty spaghetti that it is not on Spotify because I would listen to it all the time. Oh, I think we all are. But I found it on, on SoundCloud, so it's okay. So, yeah, Days Gone and then Days Gone Quiet. Uh, I would say Days Gone Quiet is probably a close second, but I will say that Days Gone is just nice. Just, just chill out. Just forget everything. Just yeah, relax. Yeah. Well, most of the analysis I did wasn't, uh, it didn't include uh, Soldier's Eyes and Hell or High Water. Yeah. Just because I don't need to analyze those songs. I've listened to them far too many times and I know I love every single part of them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're just such good songs. It's just, oh a, my it's God. just a phenomenal soundtrack. I mean, it's just so well done. Honestly, just the, the soundtrack, the game, it's just a masterpiece. And I, I, I say this all the time, and I might sound like a broken record, but I hope, 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 hope 
that we get a sequel. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yep. Yeah. I feel like we could talk about this. There's so much more to say. We could talk about this for hours, um, but we are running a little long. So I just want to ask you guys one more question off topic. If you found yourself in the world of Days Gone, how would you fare and which camp would you end up in? Joe, you're first. Oh God, why am I first? Um... Because I wanted to put you on the spot. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> and just for ease, let's say it's just you. So obviously, you know, you have family, you, you'd want to take care of them, but let's just say it's just you. Okay. Um, then I honestly don't know. Because... Um, with my hot streak, I might be able to survive, but it means I would murder a lot of people. Welcome to the other so. world. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who, who hasn't murdered a lot of people in this world? Um, I, I, th- I don't know if I would make it all the way to Days Gone, um, but I think I'd definitely last a minimum of six months. And if I were to make it to the point where I could hit one of the camps, I mean, like everyone says, I'd want to be at Lost Lake. I could probably deal with being at Cope's. Not that I want to, but I. It it is a nice setting, so. Unless you get to hear Radio Free Oregon live. Oh God, no! All the Radio Free Oregon, you could stand. Oh yeah, I'd be I'd be plugging my ears with tissues at that point. <laughs> I've said it before on the podcast. I feel like there'd be a lot of camaraderie in Copeland's camp among people who who roll their eyes at Copeland. You, mm-hmm. It's a very Probably. easy thing to bond over is a mutual dislike of someone else. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Ken, how about you? What camp would you end up in, and how would you fare? Um. Well, given my uh, my experience and. Uh, uh, fanaticism with firearms, I think I'd do all right. I would say, I would, honestly, I'm inclined to agree with Joe. I would, I would like to go to Lost Lake, ideally, but I think I'd, I think I'd, I'd stomach being at Copeland's. Yeah, if I had to choose between being out on the road and being in Tucker's camp, the road's not that bad. Yeah, I think I'd end up killing Tuck pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, that's not a bad idea. I like that idea, actually. All right, uh, a few things before we wrap up. Uh, first of all, Ken, uh, you are on Twitch, right? Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I am. So uh, I go under the name of uh, the Tubinator1898. I'm going to try to start going live every Friday. Uh, we're going to call it Freaker Friday. I'm going to be streaming Days Gone for a couple hours and you know, have an old-fashioned, take a chill pill after work. And then also if anybody has any questions regarding some of the things I said, because I know I was speaking French half the time. You guys can feel free to email me at k.luke2015 at gmail.com. Awesome. All right, and I'm going to do my usual little outro. You can support the Days Gone podcast via buymeacoffee.com slash daysgonepod, where you can throw a little money in the tip jar if you're feeling generous. That really helps me with the overhead costs of running the show. You can also support the podcast by simply leaving a review on Spotify or whatever app you listen to us on and subscribe and give us a thumbs up on YouTube. That helps the algorithm do its thing so more people can find the podcast. Joe, Ken, thank you both so much for coming on the show. It was really great talking with you both. 
Thank you for having us. Awesome time. You can email me your thoughts, comments, opinions, and counter-arguments at daysgonepod at gmail.com. You can also find me moderating the Days Gone subreddit. Thanks for listening. Weaver out. Weaver out.